Welcome to season four of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. There we go. Hey, Joel. <laughs> Howdy. How are you? Right, right on time. How about that? <laughs> It's a random religious holiday miracle. Uh, yeah, the the religious holiday known as uh, Wednesday when it's <laughs> in the 80s outside. Wed Nez Day. Yes, I've always wondered who Nez is and why we had to wed them on this day. I don't I don't understand. Oh, you're 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 on fire already. Oh boy, that's on fire. We're in trouble. <laughs> you're on fire. Well, we have a special topic today. I saw that. Special in that it's not on your amazingly organized spreadsheet. Even better. It came from the the bigger universe instead of the small one that is my skull. <laughs> Actually, that's that in my mind that's the biggest universe there is. Not your skull, my skull. <laughs> but yes. I mean, I am an only child. Come on. And this yeah, came from I, someone I, you um, know who listens and has a, a question for us. Well, I don't know. Well, they will listen. And so that was my – that was that was the way I'm bringing them in. They asked me a theological question. And I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about that on my podcast. Oh, tell me about this podcast. When w- when can I listen to it? All right. So we might have a new listener. <laughs> you know who you are. Plus one. <laughs> So, yeah, we. long story short, or it's really not that long at all, um, a friend of mine who's a congregant came up to me. We had the, our annual um, big fundraiser uh, last weekend. Thank goodness the weather was great. Uh, it's a bike ride. And speaking of theming it around, you know, holidays or making up a holiday, we call it Bike Exodus. And uh, people from, uh, and not just congregants, but, you know, people who are into biking sign up and they bike and we have a bunch of raffle tickets. And this year it was at a new place in Athens. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it, Joel, called Wire Park, which is this gorgeous outdoor space and concert venue. And there's some good restaurants and breweries and whatnot. And so it was kind of just a, a great atmosphere. Anyway, in the context of all that, my friend came up to me. And she is part of a group of friends. And I may be getting some of these details wrong, but but the crux is there. And one of them is going through uh, a really rough time with cancer. Mm. And she, my friend, said that she is both amazed and um, uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Impressed isn't quite the right word, but – uh, regarding the peace that this woman has because of her faith mm-hmm. and her belief, again, not my friend, but the friend of my friend, um, that, you know, Jesus has a plan and it's all part of the plan. And in discussing this with her, and I was telling her, you know, why kind of most Jews. So she, she brought up, she's like, I don't know any Jews like that. And I said, well, and I talked about that a little bit. And she said, but why, like, what is it about Christianity that gives some people this incredible faith 
that leads to a, a peace and a comfort that is enviable that, you know, I want that. I'm speaking for me now, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have that, and I and I don't believe that. But I kind of and I at the same time I kind of envy that incredible sense of peace and maybe surrender might be another word. Mm. So I don't know. I just thought you and I could banter about that from the standpoint of our religious traditions. Uh, first of all, is that accurate? You know, is that kind of distinction between Christianity and Judaism accurate in terms of? You know, people who consider themselves devoted to the faith, do they have, through a crisis, just kind of a, a comfort about them? And if that is the case, or if it's somewhat the case, what, why that might be? So you you responded to your congregant about... Judaism's response to that and her perception is you're saying that her perception is that Judaism or Jewish people seldom have that sense of peace that she sees in her Christian friend and you do you agree with that perception or or how did y'all you two discuss that I do agree with that perception yeah so you know most now now you know, the Jews I interact with are a self-selecting group, right? Like they're the Jews <laughs> okay. in my congregation, which is a – I mean, it's a particular branch of Judaism and also worth noting, it's in a particular time of Judaism, right? You know, a thousand years ago, it might it would be a different conversation. So um, – but yeah, the, the majority of my congregants and the Jews that I know, and I would say the Jews in liberal Jewish, you know, traditions wouldn't – necessarily kind of let go kind of like the let go let god um or you know like she brought up the extreme where she knows someone else that doesn't go to a doctor because if god wants you to be healed god will heal you now like i know like even the strictest orthodox jew that does believe that everything happens because because of god's will and you know god knows everything both past present and future even that person is going to go to a doctor <laughs> so like there is a difference but I, I i don't i don't know if i can articulate where that difference stems from like what's the ground zero of that right mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Huge topic. Thank you for the question, uh, you know, to the the friends and listeners out there. Uh, this will be a fun one for me and Eric to play with. We will do our very best and try to give you the, the widths and depths and thicknesses of our faith traditions around this. Uh, so... Um, gosh, where to even start, Eric? Holy cow. Um, can we just start with some of the platitude things that Christians are known for that, in my opinion, aren't really Christian, like um, let go and let God? Oh, stop it. Uh, that doesn't sound very Christian to me. Now, Christians use that phrase all the time. We sometimes use it to excuse ourselves from doing the responsible moral thing in the universe. I hate when we say let go and let God as an excuse to just, you know, let racism keep happening. 
or let poverty <laughs> just be I'm not, what by it the way, is. laughing because I, I had a feeling this is what you'd say, and which I agree with, by the way, of course. Yeah. And, and so that whole, like, wh- whoever this God might be, the way I look at it is God, for some strange reason, let go of some of this stuff to let us become the human beings we were intended to be. If we let go of it and throw it back at God, it isn't faith, it's irresponsibility sometimes. So I don't play the let go and let God card um, very, you know, very well. (laughs) So I don't know if that, you know, taints the rest of the discussion or if that resonates with you as a a fair starting point. No, it totally does. And, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, we also, I think, and I was trying to explain this to her, is people say things that they themselves don't necessarily mean. So my prime example of this is everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and which we, you and I have talked about before. Now, there are people that have put significant kind of theological and intellectual weight behind their belief in that. But oftentimes, it's a thing people say to help them kind of get through some sort of difficulty. And if they really thought through what that means, they would question themselves even saying it. Mm-hmm. I'm a f- huge believer that that's the case. Me too. That but that would be the pe- other one. Yeah, but there's also people that do believe that, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that- and believe it with a and believe it with an integrity, right? Like, you know, and and that's what's difficult is it's it's very easy to say something about your belief in God or your your thoughts, you know, on life after death. It, it's it's hard to judge how how deep that belief is or what the I don't want to say the knowledge as if like you have to do research before you're entitled to an opinion on these things, but there is kind of a, a, an integrity or a, or a, let's say a rigor. I think there's a rigor that's involved or should be involved that most people don't engage with. Yes, that's it. I, and I'm, I'm trying to find a f- phrasing to, to start putting some of these pieces together. Like the, um, both the let go and let God and the everything happens for a reason. They're just so dangerous, right? Because they they are phrases that are quickly said in a, a religious or faith context that most people do not process theologically very deeply, but they are ingrained culturally into us. And so they fall out of our mouths in these awkward moments where we don't know what else to say. And we hope that they are a reassuring platitude. Um, if they weren't reassuring, then they probably wouldn't have survived. And since they survived and now bounce around between my ears, they must have some value. So I'll just throw it out there because I'm clueless what else to say. Um, goodness gracious, this everything happens for a reason. God does not do bad things. Like if this God is a good and loving God, God does not do unjust, evil, terrible, awful things. So stop putting the evil and the violent and the unjust and the unloving things uh, traits of the world on God as if God pre-planned all of it and is puppeteering all of it. That stuff is from exactly. somewhere I mean, else. You know, it's it, it's interesting that today, uh, you know, so I had this conversation on Sunday. Yesterday, a beloved congregant who has been battling breast cancer for, I don't know, six, seven, eight months had 
um, after you know her entire course of radiation and ringing the bell at the cancer center mm. had you know major surgery yesterday mm. and thank god knock on wood all the cancer is gone mm-hmm. uh which is you know the best news they could hear right like amazing amazing and one i again i may be for the sake of our conversation it doesn't matter but if anyone's listening i i may be getting some of these facts wrong but again it, it doesn't matter for the overall story she was saying that a friend of hers said see god had a plan for you and in my mind and and she was a kind of we were, um, even though we didn't have a long theological discussion when I visited her in the hospital today, like there was an understanding that neither of us really believe that. And to me, the problem with that, like that's great. Oh, God, you, wow. I'm, you know, but what does that say about the person who goes through surgery and they didn't get it all? Does that mean God in, intentionally didn't cure you? Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. So – you know, oftentimes when we say it, it's with it's it's kind of in retrospect after some sort of good news or hopeful news that can lead us maybe to more hopeful news. But gosh, like, what does it say about all the tragedies that happen? Mm-hmm. Like that that's not acceptable. So, are these kind of platitudes? Are they? Are, are these the same ones in your faith communities and traditions and on your people's tongues and lips? Or are there other ones that have a similar platitude feel to them, but that don't really express the faith very well? No, I mean, I have congregants who say everything happens for a reason. You know, it's like, you know, I really have to have in-depth, you know, hour-long conversations to kind of really understand where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. But I will say generally, when I encounter someone who's going through a serious health crisis, whether it be acute, you know, like a like a heart attack or something, or whether it be something long term, I rarely hear the kind of things that my friend was telling me she hears from some of her Christian friends regarding kind of God's plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, um, I, I think Christians have have done this poorly um, for a really long time. Uh, you know, Rabbi Jesus loved debating and wrestling and struggling with the reality of God and the reality of a broken creation with the reality of faithful people who do terribly unfaithful, unjust things to one another. And and Jesus inserted himself and picked those arguments, battled, right, midrashed, and, and just would not let it go. So if I have a feeling if Jesus had been a pastoral counselor on a hospital visit and somebody had said, oh, God does everything for a reason, and God has a plan. Jesus would have told some scathing parable, <laughs> and the person in the hospital bed would have known that he was saying it against them. But it would have revealed a, a more true picture of God who does love, does create from love, does call us all toward the fullness and the shalom and the peace and the wholeness of being loved 
and loving again, and all the other stuff in the middle, like, okay, death. Death isn't a bad thing. It's just a natural part of creation. Um, Cancer sucks, right? Mass shootings are terrible. Hurricanes and tornadoes, dang it, right? It it all, weird deaths, suicide. Death in certain circumstances feels more evil than other death. And I I think I could say, yeah, it's more evil. Um, But natural death from old age and from even accidental death sometimes, in the grand circle of life, there is something about this God that that I hope Jesus is trying to teach me about that isn't afraid of that kind of death. So then that does leak over to give me this weird sense of being okay through any kind of death. And and I we might get that from Jesus's the way the gospels talk about Jesus's own self-death. We we sometimes talk about it as if God planned Jesus's death and God sent Jesus to die. Now, I don't do that. Yeah. I God sent Jesus to reveal God's humanity and the way to be a more full and more whole human. We killed him because he revealed it in ways we didn't want to trust. But we decided, no, no, you're you can't be right. We like our wars. We like our stuff. You're <laughs> if, if that's how God yeah. wants yeah, us yeah, to yeah. do it, you gotta go. And we crucified him and buried him and hoped that it was over. Um, then the wacko Christian message is it wasn't over. Like even death doesn't stop the 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 beautiful life wanting, uh, life givingness of God. So there is an honesty to some Christians who who face death with way less fear and, and way more calm, but there's a bad theology in there if they think of it as a God plan to die some terrible way. Yeah, and and I you know even though we don't really see it in modernity, there's lots of stories of Judaism. And this isn't exactly what you're talking about. I realize that where Jews willingly died as martyrs rather than abrogate their own sense of rightful faith. And, you know, I mean, I, on Yom Kippur, we read this incredible, powerful tale. And again, whether it's historically accurate or not, it, for this sense, doesn't really matter. Although I think it is, I think it is. I mean, it's a historical story. It's not biblical. Where a, a rabbi, rather, I want to say it was the Romans. I'm going to have to look at the reading. Yom Kippur was a while ago. Um, <laughs> you know, rather than kind of subject himself, you know, said the Shema and was willing to die. Now, that's not the same as, you know, God will save me from this. But it is, it is, I think, similar to what you're describing of where faith is greater, perhaps, in some ways than life, if, especially if it means doing something that is so against your sense of faith or righteousness. Um, you know, Judaism and Judaism, we have three things. So, you know, 
some a lot of people know that um, you know in Judaism life is is prized against all else. It's why you know in there's been a lot of legal arguments that have come to light recently about abortion because in Jewish law, like what you know when we talk about separation of church and state, abortions are allowed when the health of the mother is in jeopardy. It's, it's not even questionable. Even Again, even the most ob- observant Orthodox Jew will agree with this, okay? And that's because life is so important. And in this case, you know, the mother's life, who's already a human being. Um, and there's only three things in Judaism for which you're not allowed to do in order to continue your life. One are specific... Uh, acts of sexual immorality. Two is idolatry. So it's kind of like um, the the classic, you know, thought experiment of, you know, gun to your head, convert to, you know, X religion or die. Mm -hmm. According to traditional Jewish law, you were supposed to accept death, which, you know, is obviously like there's some discussion there. And then the third one is murder. You can't murder someone else for the sake of your own life. Uh, now, murder is different than killing. So, like, people say, well, what about wars and stuff? And I'm not talking about ethically. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about according to Jewish law. Yeah. Um, but, like, Shabbat, where you're not allowed to do certain things, if if there is a life to be saved, if it means violating the Sabbath, you are commanded to violate the Sabbath in order to save a life. That's how important life is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little off topic from where we started, but I think it's all kind of – you know, it's all it's all in the same oeuvre, so to speak. Well, it's the theological maze from life to death, right? And how do we walk that maze with some in- integrity, right? We don't know every turn. We don't know when or where. Like we're just we're just walking, and all of a sudden you're whoop, you're at the end of the maze. And and Jesus tells a lot of parables about that. Like you don't know the hour or the day. Stop trying to plan for the hour of the day. And then he tells other parables that say, nor do can you change really the hour of the day. Like um, stop trying to do things in a certain way that are dishonest or unfaithful just so you can extend your quote, breathing life if you're not actually living life. And and he, mm. he tries to make that differentiation a lot of the times, and and what's weird to hear you that. talk about, you know, the, the commands of Sabbath. He he's got this parable where they were really mad at him for healing on the Sabbath, and, and they oh I think you've shared this before. Yeah, they yeah. were going to stone him, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's the, like the commandment on the Sabbath: you will protect life. If one of your donkeys or oxen fell in a ditch and were or a lake and was drowning, you'd pull him out. Why can't I do that for this man? So he was aggressive about that, and. And I think when when we are doing our faith well, um, the the power of death over us that would make us betray our God given identity, if we submit to the power of death, we lose our identity, we lose our our beingness. But if we submit to fully our beingness, then we receive death when it mm. comes as. Oh yeah, I've heard a lot about you. I I thought we would might meet one day. Hi, I'm so and so. Oh, you uh, you already know me. Great. Well, I know you too. Where where are we headed?
Another thing for Christians, I think, that forces us to do this a little differently than some other faiths is the heaven-hell problem. And I don't... Ah, yes. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but in the grand dualistic Christianity that has evolved since, you know, the, 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 the double millennia ago... There's a good place post-death, and there's a bad place post-death, and you're going A or B. It's a binary thing. And so once you are sold for most of your life in Christianity that you are the good people and they are the bad people, you can comfortably be reassured in death that you are going to be saved and rescued from those bad people. Unfortunately, in 2,000 years of Christianity, those bad people have been the poor, the people of darker skin color, the Jews, we, the Muslims. Um, we have sure. used the message of Christianity slash life after death or something to build us a gated community of white folk. And uh, goodness, I, white wealthy folk, thus the gold streets and pearly gates. And I hate it, it right? That cannot be who we are or, or what we're doing. But I find sometimes Christian comfort in death is rooted in that kind of distorted hope of what it looks like. Yes. And, and you could flip it too. I'm guessing also that it, it's also not only a, um, uh, a comfort with death, but that God will see me through this because I'm going to heaven. So whatever difficulty I'm in, um, it is interesting to me that with all of Judaism's stories and teachings that are with regard to God's omniscience, omnipotence, and all goodness, all of which are open to conversation as far as I'm concerned. I call them God's someday I'm going to write a story called God's stereotypes. And it's like, those are God's stereotypes, how we stereotype God and God's thinking, I'm not these things. Why are these people stereotyping me? (laughs) Um, That there aren't modern Jews that have that same kind of sentiment. And that that's kind of the, the conversation we were having is like, and, and you know, there was a question of maybe because we've suffered for so long that there's, there's almost like a, this is my word, like a cynicism or maybe a, we know life doesn't really work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing mo- moving from that for a second, I, I think about a movie a lot that I probably shouldn't think about because it stars Mel Gibson. And that is, that's the movie Signs. One of um, M. Night, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Shyamalan, yeah. Shyamalan, yeah. One of his better movies in terms of, you know, A to B and it all makes sense. Little cheesy at times. And I'm not going to go into the plot or anything, but suffice it to say, and this is not, if you're into these topics and you think about religion at all, you should see this movie. Um, that Mel Gibson plays a, a pastor who's left, who lost his faith because his wife – This you know this at the very beginning of the movie. This is not a spoiler. His wife dies tragically. He When the movie starts, he's, he's by himself. And um, 
there's a point in the movie where this thing happens and the brother played by Joaquin Phoenix is scared and he says to his big brother, the, the Mel Gibson character, give me some comfort. And he's like, nah. <laughs> he basically is like, it's not real. Like I could say, like I could say something and it might make you comforted, but it's not real. So what good is that? Mm. And I, I feel the tension very much amongst my congregants and my responsibility as a clergy to both, like I do think it is partially my job to provide a measure of comfort, but that is not the be-all and end-all of my job or calling or responsibility. Mm -hmm. It is also to challenge, to motivate, to, um, you know, to like Socrates, to be a gadfly, you know, in people's kind of spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. But there is a comfort piece there that's important. And that's kind of what I envy in all of this. Well, uh, yeah. And... Gosh, that's probably it, Eric. That that might be the root of why Christians come across, uh, Christian lay people come across uh, expressing the things that we often do. It, so mostly I've been negative on why Christians are so whatever. Uh, so let me back up from that. I, I also know beautifully deep, rich, faithful Christians who have an appropriate awe of life and death. And they approach that with this level of grace and calm, and, and it's, uh, it's beautiful, right? Now, the comfort that they want from me is, is just presence. Um, they want to know that their story will be told and remembered, that truth— will be spoken about who they are and were and in, in God's hands always be. Um, they want uh, people to celebrate as well. You know, if they weep a little, we get it, but we're also going to laugh. And and I've seen people, Christian people, die with that kind of grace and, and beauty. Um, if by what you mean as comfort, a pastor's job to comfort— is to tell people the platitudes and even lies. I cannot do that <laughs> for them. And and I will sometimes go into a space and I will I will have a scared person who's dying need me to tell them that they've been good enough, that they've believed hard enough and they've given enough and they are going to heaven. And mm. what what I try, the, the comfort that I try to give them is, but that whole time you were doing those works, God's work on your behalf was already done. It was behind you. It had, it had always been done and already done. You could never have earned it with anything you did. So you don't need to worry whether or not you earned it, right? You, you are in a moment of trust. And it's you've been training your whole life for this moment of trust. So let's see if your training is enough. Your your life of disciplining and training to trust. Uh, that's that's what death is. It's it's the moment where your training is comes to an end and the trust becomes real 
or not. And I've had people die scared, you know, and I've had people die with a, a gentle smile and an exhale. And and I don't judge either one of them for that, right? I just sure. I just note that the platitudes leave people scared in the end. And the real discipline and the good theology often leave people okay um, in the end. Yeah, I mean, I'm brought back to um, in my previous uh, gig in Omaha. I I uh, I did an adult education session on life after death and someone who I'm, I'm still fairly close with, it wasn't like a, a sensitive moment. Like she had just experienced a loss, but um, I mean, she was like, how can you like, I, she was, she said something like, I have to believe that I'll see my parents again. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm not telling you what to believe, mm-hmm. but if you're asking me what I believe, and it's a Jewish topic. And you know, we're all you're all adults. You all came here kind of, you know, voluntarily. I think it's it's an obligation for me to give you an answer that I feel is responsible and honest. And I'm not I'm not gonna argue with you about something that you find comfort in, but I personally don't believe that. And and it was kind of like a back and forth. Like she really wanted me to believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. it, it's weird how people can be desperate for comfort when comfort is kind of the opposite of desperate. So when I see somebody who has to have something theologically and they are desperate to have it, right? What I realize is if I give it to them, they will only be hungry for it. They'll only be more desperate. I can't feed them that. That whatever that is, that isn't real comfort. It's not shalom. It's not wholeness and peace and oneness with all things and with himself and with God. There, that is a patch or a band aid to uh, close some gap that they perceive in the oneness, but it doesn't actually create the oneness that they are so hungry for. Um, man, I'm so using that, Joel. That's that's good, man. That's powerful. There's a freaky parable about that where a, a rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus, hey, what do I have to do to have shalom life? And we always translate it as Christians, eternal. We, No matter what um, people were asking back then, it was very seldom like life through beyond time. It was more Correct. like fullness of life, wholeness of life, uh, a good, full, yes. amazing life that I'm happy with. And Jesus says, hey, what, what do you find is written there? And uh, he names some of the commandments. And he goes, hey, you're doing great. Just you know, just one more thing. Just go sell everything and follow me. And this dude couldn't do it because his riches made him really happy and comfortable. And he assumed that his riches were, were enough, but gosh, I have all this wealth, but why am I not happy yet? And Jesus is like, oh, you keep thinking that the wealth is the band-aid to wholeness. It's not. Like for you, you got to let that stuff go. You got to rip that band-aid off and just be whole. Like the wealth does not define you. Rip it off. And he couldn't do it because that was his band-aid. And so if I sit in a hospital and somebody says, oh, please tell me I'm going to heaven. Well, that's just their wealth. You know, that's what they got to have to feel comfortable. And a lot of pastors just Mm. give it to them. 
yeah, okay, you're going, you know, because I don't want to piss you off on your deathbed or make you sad. I don't want to piss anybody off either, but I, God, I don't want to stick a dagger in their soul and, and wound them with a lie. So I, I try to tell them, just trust. You've always been a truster. I like that. You know, y'all do it so well, much better than we do. I have, well, the answer I have to that is not really an answer. It's it's what one of my favorite professors used to say, which is when you're in the, the hospital room, you know, whether actually or metaphorically, like insert whatever instance for a hospital room, you don't do theology. You hold this person's hand. You hug them. You sit with them. Now, if they literally ask you, or ask me. And again, I think this might be a difference too, generally speaking. I, I can't think, and I, I've certainly been with people when, when they have passed or moments before they passed reciting the Shema and things like that. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an instance where someone has asked me those kinds of questions of, because again, you know, the heaven and hell thing is, is so ingrained in Christianity, even yeah. though you know, Talmudic Judaism certainly has varying beliefs of life after death and punishment. It's not part of our normative belief system. Um, so those sorts of questions often don't come up at, at, at end of life. Yeah, and I think that's that's where we've screwed it up. Like, that's why I say y'all are better <laughs> than we are. We Whatever it is, right, the fullness of life and the receipt of death— um, cause death is not something you can, you can avoid. Like it, it, it happens to us all. So, and you can't always block it or postpone it. It just happens. It comes. Um, so you just receive it when it comes. Uh, but like Psalm 139 is used all the time in Christian funerals. Um, and as is Psalm 23, um, but I, I well, Jewish also. Yeah, but and I love them because they, they have a little bit of desperation to them. They are, they are honest with the. I need to know. I hope this is true. I've always heard. You said one, Joel. You said one, one thirty nine. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, the you've searched me and known me, right? You search up my paths. You you hem me in, and I don't understand you. <laughs> it's that one. Where could I flee from your spirit if I go to the heavens or if yeah, I go to Sheol, yeah. you're already there. Um, yeah. and, and that, I, I try to explain to people, like, whoever this author is, I think somebody says it's David, but, you know, my guess is he had yeah, script writers. Traditionally. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, unless they were on strike. Uh, but he... Nice. Yeah, who, whoever they were, well done. they were trying to express, like, this is hard stuff. And we want to be faithful, and we've been told this is our faith, and we've practiced it a lot of times, but there is a pressure to shield that makes us double-check and wonder. And whether or not people think of it as theological, Psalm 139 is radically theological. It's saying all kinds of things about God and life and us and death, and Ah, uh, right. There's nothing more theological than those four, right? That's the the quadrants mm. of theology. Well, we answered it. We figured it out. I don't know. 
My <laughs> my guess is most Christians are more comfortable with death for all the wrong reasons. Mm. So one question I had, and I, I don't want to get too long into this. I, I don't want to, uh, our, our listeners to doze off while they're driving and God forbid, you know, lose their car. But um, do they really? So I, I wonder sometimes, and this is what I asked my friend, is it? So again, people say all sorts of things. I mean, I do it too. Maybe not necessarily with things like everything for happens for a reason, but I'm sure I do it with other things where people say things because it's just the thing that you say and there's not necessarily that belief. And like, do you think that that is the case that people really do believe that? Yeah, I think people's I think people repeat things that they have heard said their whole life. So. You know, you can think of the most famous, most ingrained liturgies, right, of your faith. And those are the ones that you have to say again at the end with or for someone who cannot say it themselves. And and they are the core of something that we've always hoped slash believed. Um, mm. But but the, the gap there, I mean, the thing I love about it is belief is... If you know it, you cannot believe it. If you believe it, you don't know it. So something about death is an unknown place. It is a belief-only place. And we can spend a a lot of our theological life debating what we think we know. And it's also something where there is so much hope also. So it's one thing to have a belief about something that doesn't necessarily matter all that much to you. Mm -hmm. But when something of such consequence as death, the belief and the hope kind of conflate upon one another. Yes, that's it. And I've probably said this before, but, uh, you know, there's this line in Paul in one of the New Testament letters where he says – Faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. And I doubt that. I, I debate that with him. I think love is the greatest. Uh, hope is the greatest. Um, if I have hope, I might have the stamina to keep on loving or to believe I am loved. But you you yank the hope out of oh, me. that's interesting. And I I will stop that's loving. I will, won't care if I'm loved. I, I'll become, you know, uh, a dude who attacks women in a dressing room in a fancy yeah. department store. Well, I think you could make the argument. I, I appreciate your, your take. I, I, there, there's something there. But I, I do think you can make the argument that love can lead to hope as well. Sure. Yes. Um, like if you've lost hope and somebody loves on you anyway, you might get it back. Yeah. I can, I can yeah. see how they yeah, yeah, yeah. function like that. Oh, good talk, Joel. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for the last minute uh, swerve in terms of our topic. Of course, yeah, that's fun. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there. We thank you for being with us today. 
and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.